Welcome to A Better Press for a Better World, a series from the Michigan Interscholastic Press Association. We explore the world of media through conversations with professional journalists and others in the media industry. And now, your host, MIPA's Executive Director, Jeremy Steele. Hi, everyone. My name is Jeremy Steele, and I'm the Executive Director of the Michigan Interscholastic Press Association. Welcome to another of our Better Press for a Better World uh, webinar uh, episode, series, whatever we want to call it. Uh, we are happy this week again to welcome three professional journalists here to be able to take your questions. Uh, for those of you joining us on Zoom, you can use the Q&A tool that you'll see down at the bottom of your screen to send us in questions. Uh, and if uh, folks, if you watch us on YouTube live, you can also send us in uh, questions in the chat feature there. Uh, so let me introduce our three uh, journalists today, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, first off, Tina Reed oversees Fierce Healthcare and all of its publications. Tina has been reporting on healthcare for more than a decade, and her work has appeared in the Washington Business Journal, Capital Gazette, AnnArbor.com, and the Ann Arbor News, as well as the Las Vegas Review Journal. She has a bachelor's degree in journalism with a specialty in health promotion from Michigan State University and lives in Washington, D.C. Uh, Gabrielle Russin, did I say it right? Sorry, Gabrielle. Gabrielle is a tourism reporter covering theme parks at the Orlando Sentinel. So she can take all your Disney questions, maybe, or at least some of them. Uh, Gabrielle previously covered higher education. She is a Midwestern native and has worked as a reporter at the Sarasota Herald Tribune, the Toledo Blade, and the Kalamazoo Gazette. She is also a graduate of Michigan State University. And Emily Wilkins is an award-winning congressional reporter for Bloomberg Government in Washington, D.C., where she covers the House, Senate, and political campaigns. She previously worked for CQ Roll Call, covering education, labor, and immigration, and was a city hall reporter at the Bryan College Station Eagle in Texas. She also has her degree in journalism from Michigan State University. Uh, all four of us actually have our degrees in journalism from Michigan State University, where we all uh, worked at one point in time or another at the State News, the campus newspaper here. So welcome, all four of you. It's really exciting to have you with us, and it's exciting to have the student journalists who are joining us out there uh, live or following back up on uh, their favorite podcast platform or video. Um, so let me just ask all three of you first, obviously we're all dealing with the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. How is that affecting your work and the way you do your jobs now? Emily, do you wanna start? Sure, um, so it has had a pretty big impact on our work. Um, currently, we are at Bloomberg. They've asked reporters to just not go to the U.S. Capitol. I live about 20 minutes from the Capitol. I'm usually up there every day that they're in session. So like Mondays through Fridays, Tuesdays through Thursdays-ish. Um, if you do go up there now, you, you might be seeing some really interesting reporter uh, photos of reporters up there. Everyone's wearing face masks. If you try and interview someone, you can't just walk and talk with them. You got to like stand six feet away and stick your mic out. So there's all that stuff that's going on. Um, like I said, my company has asked that we not go up there because they have concerns about our safety and also because lawmakers have accommodated with the times. There was a, a press conference today that's normally held in somebody's office. It's held there every week. 
but for the last eight weeks, it's been held via phone. So everyone will just call in. So, I mean, obviously lawmakers understand the importance of the news. They still want us to be included. So everyone's finding workarounds at this point, but, but it, is, it is pretty different. And as far as content, everything needs to be coronavirus. Um, our readers, it's impacting everything. It's what our readers care about. I tried to pitch a story that had nothing to do with the coronavirus, and I was told, hold on for a couple weeks. Maybe we'll get to this when this is uh, a little closer to being over, which might not be for a much longer time. <laughs> Tina, you are also in Washington, D.C., uh, but your, your work involves covering the healthcare industry. So obviously you are probably super swamped right now, but tell us a little bit about how the, the pandemic is affecting your journalism work. So one of the biggest things that got cut immediately was our travel. So we often will travel to conferences, like I was in San Francisco in January, I went to uh, Philadelphia in February, and I was set to travel to Orlando for a major health IT conference in March and it was literally less than a week before when they finally decided to cancel the conference and 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 they told us to stay home um, and so all additional travel after that has been um, completely stopped so we're trying to do a lot of stuff online we're covering uh, uh, events that are being held online and we've had to move our own events online uh, we often will moderate panels and, and hold events or, or be part of event leading events and we've had to move a lot of that content online and um, actually create new content because there's such a hunger for um, information of, you know, business information when it comes to how hospitals and insurance companies and the like are getting impacted by COVID. So we've been doing a lot of webinars and actually just doing interviews just like this um, in, in the form of Zoom calls. And Gabrielle, what is life like as a newspaper reporter in Orlando right now? Uh, it's been really overwhelming, to be honest. I feel like I'm covering history. I went out to Magic Kingdom on the last night before it shut down, and these theme parks, you know, closed for half a day when 9-11 happened, or closed for a day or two when there's a hurricane, uh, but now they've been closed six weeks, and, you know, people that go there on vacation can't go there, uh, but it's just destroyed our economy right now. There are tens of thousands of people that work there. Uh, they... People are trying to file unemployment and the state, they can't get through, they can't get money. So they've gone weeks without a paycheck. Um, so as a reporter, I've been telling those stories um, and I feel like I'm writing history. Um, it's also been scary because kind of the economic impact, my newspaper has been affected. Um, and I'm one of uh, people who made a certain amount, got permanent pay cuts. Um, the, mo the majority of us were getting furloughed. So for the next three months, um, I'll take three weeks of no pay myself and, and can't work. So I'm trying to do more than ever, knowing that, you know, I'm going to have less resources at my disposal. So it's just maddening and frustrating and uh, at the same time. Are there certain techniques or tactics that you all are using to do your reporting when you have to practice social distancing or when you have to do um, a lot of your work from home? What are some of the strategies that you're using just to be able to be a reporter? I know for us, I mean, we're doing everything by the telephone now. I mean, it, we used to be able to do meetings in person um, where sometimes we would send folks down to the hill and we just, we can't do that now. We're all working from our respective homes. 
One thing I am trying to do is so normally in normal times, I'll try and like get coffee with sources, meet up with them for lunch, just sit down, talk face to face. And something I've tried to be good about doing is reaching out to those same sources, even if I don't have a story that I'm working on that involves them, even if I don't have a specific question, just something to like reach out and touch base and be like, hey, like, how's everything going? How are you doing? Just sort of keep that source building going even though there's no way that I can see them face-to-face -face at this point. Gabrielle, what about you in Orlando? Um, are you able to go out and do reporting when you're on the job or in your colleagues, or are you all mostly stuck at your homes or your desks doing, doing work over the phone or video conference? Uh, we're not allowed to be in the office, so we've all been working remotely. We might not be able to go into the office until August, which is crazy. <sighs> Um, but we've been doing a lot of phone calls and, you know, I can still be a reporter over the phone. I'm trying to tell people's stories that wouldn't otherwise, you know, be covered, you know, local workers that are affected, uh, family members who have lost someone from the virus. You know, those are all really important stories that I can still tell, even if I can't have that face-to-face -face contact. Just a reminder, if you have questions, you can use the Q&A tool in Zoom to send those into us. Um, all three of you have, I think, interesting beats that you cover. You've got to be experts in particular areas, whether it's um, Congress and politics or tourism and, and theme parks or healthcare. Um, can, can you all tell us a little bit about how you got into those kind of specialized jobs? We're, were these areas that you were looking for a while to get into um, when you were thinking about getting into journalism as a college student or earlier, or did you kind of land in these different positions? Tina, how did you end up at, at Fierce Healthcare? Uh, well, um, if I go way back, it actually was in high school that I decided I wanted to be a healthcare reporter. I wanted to be a health reporter, I should say. Um, I had a back surgery and it just really opened my eyes to, you know, how important your health is. And I really liked writing and I couldn't play on the school soccer team anymore. So I started um, just uh, basically writing for the school newspaper and I fell in love with it. So that was kind of where I got my start was in high school um, and participating in MIPA. Um, so uh, I ended up studying journalism with a, health, a, a specialization in health promotion. Um, and then I got my first newspaper job at a daily, um, the Ann Arbor News. And just from then on, every time I was in a job, I kept trying to gravitate towards health. So even if I wasn't in an outright health position, I would kind of just try and gravitate to those stories when I could on other beats. Um, and I ended up getting this job just, I was working at a business publication in BC and um, this opportunity just kind of came my way. Um, Emily, how about you? Yeah, I can say, I mean, at Michigan State, I also got my start in high school journalism, worked for my student newspaper, went to MIPA. Uh, so I knew journalism is what I wanted to do. And I also knew that politics was what I wanted to do. I got um, a double major in journalism and political science. Um, and so what my goal was initially to cover Congress, but I figured it might take a while to happen. So I start off covering local politics, figuring I'd work my way up. 
but DC is actually a really good place for young, hungry journalists. There were a boom of new publications out there that wanted to have young people who are willing to go on the hill and talk to lawmakers and get there early and work the late nights. And so I was actually hired on not to cover Congress necessarily, but to cover a beat within the federal government. I start off with immigration, which I did for a short period of time. And then basically for complex reasons, they decided to eliminate the immigration beat. This is before Trump got elected. Uh, and then they basically were like, well, we have the education labor beat open. Would you like it? And I said, sure, why not? So I spent, I think, three years covering um, labor and education. During that time, I wound up moving to Bloomberg government. So I was a beat reporter in that sense for a while, this very narrow beat where it's not just education, it's federal education. But I found it super interesting. I got to cover student debt. I got to cover for-profit colleges. I got to cover everything to do with Betsy DeVos. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to do was just expand a little bit more to Congress as a whole, because I think it's a very interesting part of our government. And so after doing a number of year, years with education reporting and proving that I could break big news, develop sources, do the whole nine yards, um, I spoke with my news director and she was like, would you like to move to our congressional team? And so I've been here for a little less than a year, but it's been, it's been a really good experience so far. And Gabrielle, how did you come to cover tourism? I, you know, I'm really surprised that I'm covering Disney. I never thought that was my end goal. <laughs> um, you know, I took, I graduated Michigan State and took the first job offer I had at a dinky little paper in Indiana. And every job I had, I just really focused on soaking, soaking it up and learning as much as I could and telling stories I was proud of. Uh, eventually, you know, when I wanted to make more money, I would start looking for my next opportunity. And it just, you know, I kind of took what opportunities presented themselves. I never had a set goal. I kind of just went with it and, and, and my career happened, uh, you know, on its own. I, <laughs> I'm very surprised, I made it this far. Um, you know, I had an opportunity to come to Florida, which is a great place to be a reporter because there's lots of crazy news and there's great public records laws. So it's easy to find those crazy news. Um, got a job at Orlando Sentinel in a big city, which was exciting to me. I was in my late twenties. Uh, and I was, you know, just worked really hard, was in the right place at the right time. A reporter was retiring and the Disney beat was open. It's a high profile beat and I was terrified and didn't want to do it. So I said, yes, let's go. <laughs> uh, and, and I've been covering about two and a half years. So we, we've got a question that's come in from Matthew. Uh, he's wondering how you find sources as a high school reporter when the story's on more of a national level. And, and I think along with that, maybe you all can talk a little bit about some of the strategies that you use to find sources and actually get them to respond to you. You, you three have the, the weight of some professional media organizations, um, maybe that you can throw around a little bit that a high school student doesn't have. But what are some of the strategies that you all use to, to find sources and also just to actually get them to, to talk to you? Gabrielle, do you wanna go first on this one? Sure. You know, I, when I was writing a story, uh, you know, I was a young 25 year old reporter writing a story and I wanted to get a billionaire who owned a sports, a local sports team and he wanted to build an arena and I wanted him to talk to me for my story. And you know, he's a billionaire. He has no interest in talking to me, little old me. 
but I would call his office up every day at the same time. I did it for like a week or two weeks. I finally got him to call me back. I think a lot of getting people to talk to you that don't want to give you the time of day, you got to be prof professional and friendly. You also got to be really persistent. And it's a thin line between being annoying and, you know, being persistent. And you kind of got to work that line, but you can't give up. I would definitely, I would definitely second that. I mean, there was one time when I worked for the state news, I was trying to get someone to talk to me and I pestered him so much. And finally, finally, he gave me what I wanted. And at the end, he was just like, he's like, if you ever do this professionally, he's like, your persistence will, will pay off. And I think that's what your sources want to know. They want to know that you're someone who cares, who's diligent, who wants to get it right and to be accurate. And so just to sort of shoot off one email or one phone call and never come back again. I mean, I still find that I have to like still email people numerous times. It is very often that they will ignore that first email. And then the second one comes in with me saying, Hey, I'm following back up. And they realize like, Oh, like she means business. This isn't just some thoughtless call where she just wants a throwaway quote. And I think that might be the other thing. Really know what you want from your source and why you want to talk to them. The more personalized I think a request can be, any sort of reference to what they've done in the past or area of expertise that they're in sort of really solidifies that, yes, like you've done your research, you've done your homework and that, you know, they will get something out of talking to you. You also need to be confident in who you are, um, no matter where you're working. Um, I have found before, for instance, when I get PR calls from somebody who says, um, I'm an intern and I'm calling and I hope you'll, I like immediately, I'm not going to listen to them. But if they talk to me with some confidence and say, I'm calling you about X, Y, Z, um, you know, it, it does make a difference in how I'm going to receive that pitch. And I think it's the same way when you're pitching a story and trying to get a source to talk to you, you don't, don't ever, first of all, don't ever say I'm an intern calling, just say I'm, I'm a reporter and I'm calling you and I'm asking you a question. Um, and then just have the, the courage of your conviction of who you are and what you're trying to, to get the information or, or why you're trying to get that information and, and go after it. Uh, there was once I was an intern in Ann Arbor and none of you will know who this is um, from our, our viewership here, but I, Bob Seeger was in town and I was trying to interview him and I kept calling and calling and his agent kept saying, oh, oh, we'll see, we'll see. And they just kept pushing me off. And so I ended up crawling through a band room um, over like some instruments and I finally like busted in and I ended up like getting into the, the back dressing room where like Bob Seeger and all of his people were hanging out at this like event he was at. And because I had been so persistent and I like, I showed up and I said, I want to interview you. He said, sure. And so it's just, you never know who's going to say yes, but you have to be confident. What, what are your strategies when you identify someone that you all want to use as a source? Um, what are your strategies for actually making contact with that source? Are you, do you try to do those interviews in person? Are you calling them? Are you emailing them? What are, what are some of your strategies just for that initial outreach? It depends on the day in the story. Um, there was a story that I've been working on today that I'm trying to get turned around as quickly as I can. So I am sort of doing that initial, hi, I'm Emily. This is who I work for. This is what I'd like to talk to you about. But ideally, um, I've also been trying to identify people as sources on this beat because I still have been in it less than a year. Um, and just reach out preemptively and say, hey, like my name's Emily. I'm covering this beat. I want to learn more about XYZ. 
do you have time for a coffee? Do you have time for lunch? Do you have time for, if they don't live in DC, can we do a phone call? And so it's to start preemptively building that. Um, another trick that I get that was passed down to me as a tip and will work if you think you might have a source that you're going to be using again and again is maybe the first couple times, give them the option to talk to you on background. And that way they loosen up a little bit, they become more relaxed, you can sort of have a bit more of a back and back conversation. And then at the end, you can potentially say, okay, we just had that on background, is there something I can get on the record? Or can we move parts of the conversation off on the record? And I find that that's a really good way to sort of build um, build a back and forth with someone because other there are some people, they, you know, they're talking to a reporter, they freak out, every sentence has to be perfect. And really, you're not looking for that picture-perfect sentence. You're looking for the truth and for what actually is going on. So, Emily, for, for our students, can what does on background mean for, to you? So, and this is, the disclaimer here is to always clarify this with your sources, because different people will have different ideas what on background means. But on the record means that if you say something to me, I can quote it, and I can say that you said it. On background means that if you say something to me, I can quote it, but these are the articles where it's like, Donald Trump is the best, quote, said a senior White House official. That's a background quote. Or it could mean that someone tells me that Donald Trump is the best and I wind up writing a, a sentence that says, you know, some people within the Trump administration think that Donald Trump is the best, something like that. And then off the record is someone tells me something and it, I cannot print it. I cannot repeat that they have said it. Um, it's basically just kind of for my own information, but it's not to appear anywhere in print um, and not to be repeated by me to other people. Do you find, Emily, that you have an easier time getting people to call you back or answer your emails when you've had that coffee or that previous conversation with them when you weren't interviewing them for a specific story? Oftentimes, yes. I mean, if, if you know who the email's from, that, that definitely helps. If you can put a face to a name, um, it especially helps for a lot of these source coffees that I'll go to. The goal isn't for me to sit there and pepper them with questions and find a bunch of story angles. What I'm normally trying to do is just say, hey, like, I'm a super chill person. This is what I'm about. Let me ask some questions about you, find out what you're about. And it, I mean, this might be a thing that sort of happens, has happened to me more in D.C. than, say, when I covered local government. But because there are so many reporters in D.C., so many sources in D.C., so much media in D.C., it does help to have a bit of a personal back and forth beyond just what you're strictly doing for work purposes. And Gabrielle, with the work that, that you do, how do you initially make your outreach to sources? Do you tend to use email a lot? Are you, um, are you somebody who calls for an interview most of the time? Do you go knock on people's doors? What are, what are the strategies that work for you when you're um, doing outreach to your sources? You know, it depends on the story from my deadline. If it's a story that I uh, I'm really passionate about, or is it something I have to turn quick? You know, if I'm writing on deadline uh, and there's, you know, I, I could do a phone interview, you know, email, set up a time to talk on the phone. Um, but what I really love is I think to be a good reporter and to be a good, especially a good narrative features writer, you really have to be present and you want to be able to go out and see things for yourself and describe scenes and be able to write about how something looks like or what it smells like or feels like. 
um, you know, an example of that, I, I did a story uh, a year or so, a year or two ago about SeaWorld. And I, I had heard from a getting coffee with the source that they have um, people who work overnight. They work, the, the, the park is staffed 24 seven and they have people that bottle feed orphan baby manatees. And I thought that was the cutest story idea. And I wanted to be there at two in the morning to be able to describe what it's like. And I could have done it over the phone, you know, um, but it was just so much more meaningful to be there and, and describe what the, the baby manatees formula smelled like and, and what it was like to be there at two in the morning. You know, you have to really be present and, and do things in person. What did it and smell it like? It's like pina colada. Ooh. <laughs> I did not eat it. I did not taste it. So I, I heard it third hand. And, and Tina, tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you all do at Fierce Healthcare and how, how do you build relations with, with your sources there? Sure. So we cover the healthcare industry for the healthcare industry. We're what's called a business to business publication or a trade publication. Um, so a lot of the work we were doing already happens on the phone a lot, but then a lot of it also happens when we go to some of these uh, conferences, like I said, where we're, you know, literally jumping from meeting to meeting to meeting in like 15 minute increments, just so we can meet as many people in person as possible. Um, and we do build relationships with um, communications folks as well. I know sometimes, um, you know, they, you know, there's kind of an adversarial relationship sometimes between um, public relations folks and um, journalists because we've got different goals. Um, but the good ones can be really, really helpful. And I found I've made some good relationships with some of them because they know the industry so well, they know what I'm looking for, and they're not going to waste my time. Do you, um, I want to re revisit the, and uh, we've got a question from, from somebody who's uh, watching along with us. I want to revisit the issue of kind of uh, reporting on background. Do you, um, Gabrielle and Tina, do you ever do interviews on background or what are the policies at your organizations um, when you are dealing with on the record, off the record and, and on background? So we follow the standard of, um, first of all, if we're going to take information on background and use it, um, it needs to come to the level of we couldn't find that information elsewhere. Um, and we often, if we do take it on background from somebody, we're going to be looking to verify it with other sources. Um, we're going to make that source maybe meet, meet a different threshold in terms of uh, proving what they're saying, uh, maybe through documents. Um, and we really try to avoid it when, it when possible, but if we do use them, we try to get as specific as we possibly can without identifying them. So like Emily was saying, um, said a senior Trump administration official. So it gives people an idea that you didn't just make this up, you, you talked to a person. Um, and, and often, if somebody says, can we talk off the record? If you say no, they want to tell you so badly, they'll talk anyway. So try saying no. Don't let them talk off the record. And never let a, you know, I don't, when I'm covering local government, I don't, I don't go off the record with a, the city spokesman or, you know, if you want to tell me something, you know, I'm writing a story. Tell me on the record. Otherwise, honestly, I don't want to know because, you know, I'm writing a story. Um, that's kind of always been my approach because it's really easy to get burned off the record. You know, they tell you something, a, a public official tells you something really juicy and then you can't use it because you've made this agreement uh, and you have a job to do, write a story and, and break news and write things that the public wants to know. And you got to be really, 
covering local government, you gotta be really careful with off the record sources. And, and, and Emily, I'll play you. Yeah, Emily, back to you and obviously the, the world in DC and politics is different and a lot of coverage of, of news out of DC and politics uses background and sometimes um, you know, other tactics. What, what's your threshold for when you'll use an on background interview versus, or, or do you, I, I guess how I try and get everything I can. Much? I try and get everything I can on the record. And that includes people who will initially ask to be on background because I'll sit there and I'll be like, look, like you've just told me X, Y, and Z. Like I want to make sure that my readers find this information credible. It's going to be more credible if your name can do it with it. And usually if we sort of have a conversation a little bit, and they're sort of like, okay, I'll go with that. We have a vetting process at Bloomberg. If we do want to use on background information, that source needs to be cleared by a top editor. Um, we can't quote people. Uh, this, is, this is a place where we differ than some other organizations, but we can't quote people on background. So none of my stories would ever say, quote, Trump is awesome, end quote, said senior administration official, unless it was something like particularly explosive or particularly big or something that we just couldn't get elsewhere. Um, so it's definitely not a preferred, it, it, it's not something that I used a lot. I, it's not something I used a lot before coming to DC. DC kind of is, it's a really unique reporting bubble just because there are so many reporters here, uh, so many news sources and so much news happening all the time. So it's a, it's a tool for your toolkit, but it's not one that will always be used in every situation. And when it is used, I mean, I, I absolutely echo um, both Tina and Gabrielle. It needs to be used with a lot of caution um, because, yeah, your job is to get stuff on the record. Your job is to tell people what you know. And if people are telling you stuff off the record, you can't tell them, well, you're missing a key part of your job right here. And, and Emily, let's stick with you for just a second. We've got another question from Sophia, who's watching along on Zoom. How do you maintain a straightforward, unopinioned story um, when politics today are, is so divided? And uh, I guess along with that, you know, where you might come down personally on, on an issue. How do you work to keep that um, out of your coverage? Sure. Well, I mean, you always want to try and make sure that you're talking to, if you're talking to Democrats for a story, you want to make sure that you're talking to Republicans as well. If you're talking to a group of moderate Democrats, you want to make sure that you're getting the insight of progressive Democrats. You want to make sure that you've sort of got the complete sense of what's going on because one side could be telling you something and leaving out a really critical detail. I mean, for me personally, I've always just had a drive to just report the information and the facts. Um, I've, you know, never felt, I guess, personally that like my, you know, I'm happy to share my opinion in certain contexts, but I never really felt the need to shout my opinion from the rooftops. Um, I'm much more interested in sort of sticking to the facts, the things that can be proven, the things that, you know, I've heard from multiple people. Um, I think that's another thing. Make sure that, you know, if someone tells you something like that needs to be checked out, that needs to be vetted, you need to make sure that you're not just going on what one person tells you because that's a really quick way for bias to come into your story without you realizing it. Gabrielle, you are covering the happiest place on earth or <laughs> one of the happiest places on earth, maybe. How, how do you- There is no happy place. <laughs> does that influence at all your coverage of, of kind of the tour indus tourism industry when you've got these behemoth corporations that, to some extent, at least, a lot of the work that they're doing, people love? 
Uh, you know, it's interesting doing what I do because a lot of the stories I write are about the dark side of Disney. Um, so, you know, but when I'm writing my stories, you know, I have to be fair and give Disney an opportunity to comment. You know, I write about bad things that happen at Disney. So it's, um, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> and Tina, you're at a trade publication, which is kind of a little bit different animal. Um, you are focused a lot on, um, right, you're talking about healthcare for people in healthcare as opposed to a general audience. Does that change the way that you do your job as a journalist? It does because we have to think about this when we're writing a story, who are our readers going to be? A, a, a hospital executive is going to be worried about much different things than a patient who just got hit with a surprise bill. Um, and so, like, for instance, when a regulation comes out, and we're writing about it, we have to present it in a way um, that reflects the concerns of our readership specifically. Um, so, you know, we know the things that are going to be seen as good or bad in that context. So we're not necessarily saying something's good or bad, but we're going to be writing it based on what we know is most important to our readers. Um, and so that that's often where we're trying to find more of the balance rather than like the political side of things. Um, is, is trying to figure out where where people are going to be landing on this and making sure that we're reflecting, you know, kind of both sides of that coin. Um, and then when it comes to, because we do touch on some political stuff, we cover a lot of regulations that come out of the um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is part of the Trump administration. The one thing we've been really careful to do is make sure that, you know, if the Republicans did something um, that maybe is seen as unpopular by, the industry, we can't forget to mention, you know, what the Democrats did, um, you know, four years ago that was similarly unpopular. So it's just remembering to put everything in proper context um, and, and remembering that history because that's, that's important um, to sort of striking that balance. Great question coming in from Zach. He's wondering how can we as high school students get professional sources to take us more seriously as journalists? What can we do um, to keep sources from talking down to us or even withholding information because we're just students? Any, any tips that you all have for, for young journalists? Sometimes I think it's a great thing when your sources uh, look down on you. If you're writing, you know, sometimes I'm writing about really complex issues about property taxes or, you know, issues that are just really complex. And, you know, you have experts that know the material and, you know, talk in scientific terms or complex terms. Get the, you know, they'll, when they, when you're a student, you can ask them to give you the 101 and to explain it to you and break it down and, and really absorb it and understand it. So sometimes it, you can use that to your advantage. And then like Emily was saying earlier, if you really do your homework, um, you, can, you can impress upon the person you're talking to pretty quickly that you know what you're talking about. Um, so I think doing your homework ahead of time, that's the biggest thing. And I'll echo what Tina said earlier. I mean, going in for that confidence, like you don't need to, I mean, yes, you should probably state what organization you're doing it, you're writing for. Um, but you know, you can just say, you don't need to say, oh, I'm a, I'm a high school student reporter, just, I'm a reporter, I'm doing a story on this, this is the publication it's running in, I'd love to have a couple minutes of your time to talk about XYZ. Emily, you're the, the youngest reporter of the group here. Um, do you run into that even with your work having only 
um, covered Congress for a few years? They actually, there is a method that some reporters on the Hill utilize and has been suggested to me. That's just go ahead and play stupid. Go ahead and just be like, oh, oh, like, what is that? What does that mean? Because then you get them to really start talking. And if you know the subject matter as good as they do, you can start picking up on little things that they say. Be like, well, you said this, but I know this happened. So how do you sort of square that, sir? Or how do you like square that circle? Or, you know, however you phrase the question. Um, but sometimes it can be to your advantage. And honestly, sometimes I think if you if you get people on a topic that they really care about and they're really passionate about and you really sort of let them talk for a while and like ask some questions, that's also a good way to build relationships with sources. It, it involves you listening to them platter on about stuff that you might not need and never use. But it, if you think that's going to be someone who you're going to talk to again. And the other thing about that is that it always serves as a good way to get other story ideas. I mean, when I start off on a new beat, I don't tend to know a lot, so I want people to talk as long as possible because then they'll say things and never be afraid to ask what that acronym means. Never be afraid to ask what who they're a person they're referring to or what, you know, if they're making some sort of vague reference because that shows that you're interested, it shows that you're engaged, and it shows that you care. Are there times, this is another question uh, from a student watching, Cameron is asking, is, are there ever times where stress can get to you? Um, I'm sure there are. Uh, and how, how do each of you handle the stress associated with your jobs? Drinking's not the right answer here, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Emily, no, for this Very audience, <laughs> that is not the right answer. No, but Don't listen to me, guys. <laughs> and, and I doubt that is... That's not, no. Uh, method that you use anyway, knowing no. you, but, no, but all right, so Emily's now. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist the joke. <laughs> it was right this, there. This, it was right there. It was right there. The, ser the serious answer is that, yes, journalism can be a stressful profession, but I think it's also a passion-based profession. Most of us did not get in this for the money. We did not get in this for the great work-life balance. We did not get in this for the incredibly convenient hours as the 2 a.m. manatee feeding demonstrates. Um, we got into it because we care about something, because we're passionate people who are curious and interested in learning. I think, honestly, I, I haven't found a job yet that doesn't come with a side of stress to it. Um, I meditate, I run, I eat healthy, I get to bed on time. But at the end of the day, I love my job and whatever stress I have to deal with, it's worth it to be a journalist. Ditto. That yeah. <laughs> and when you're writing a big, when I'm writing a big story that I spent a lot of time on and I know is gonna, it's more controversial, it's gonna make, you know, ruffle some feathers. Um, it's just a natural, it means I'm doing my job. Um, so you have to kind of just, embrace it but it is it's really stressful it's stressful i have i i'm sure you guys can agree you wake up in the middle of the night and have a fear like you can spell someone's name wrong or you know even the weekend i'm taking i've been working lots of weekends working late at night when story breaks at 10 o'clock i you know i gotta get to work um you can anger your editors your sources your readers you can get angry emails from everyone um but it's it's what we love to do you know makes you feel alive <laughs> What about the stresses just from being in the business at this point in time? Um, Gabrielle, at the beginning, you talked a little bit about the furloughs that you and other journalists all over the country are dealing with as, as media companies are struggling um, financially, especially. 
as a result of the uh, decline, serious decline in advertising from the, the pandemic. But, you know, obviously being a journalist is fun and exciting, but there's that kind of grown up side of it too, that you got to pay the bills. Are there strategies that you all deal with to kind of handle the pressures that just come with kind of that atmosphere of being a journalist? It's all I've ever known because I joined the workforce in 2008 in the economic crisis then. So, hey, at least it's been consistent, consistently bad. Um, but it's, it's stressful. You know, I, I've gotten a part-time job to earn extra money to pay off debt, to help save more because I don't earn, I didn't earn enough on my base salary. I know other journalists that have done things at Uber Drive or, you know, work part-time jobs, you know, um, I think people are always constantly looking for other jobs in case you're laid off. It's just kind of the reality of the situation. We unionized, are going to unionize. <laughs> Yay! Week. Um, Congrats, that's huge. Yeah, no, I know for us, um, you know, because we, our company has definitely not been immune from financial fallout. Um, a huge portion of our company's revenue comes from live events that, you know, our group runs and so um and i'm in charge of managing a team and so i'm trying to help keep spirits up help people feel um empowered to try and help the company get through this rough time and so a lot of what we're doing is just kind of like we meet on zoom we actually have a virtual lunch together online which sounds kind of cheesy but we all actually have our lunches and we're eating together and it's just a time to kind of just like first of all just chit chat and like pretend like we're you know coworkers in an office again um, but we're also trying to step back and just take a look at the bigger strategy and what are some things that we could write that might, you know, be something that the sales team might be able to sell again so that it can bring more revenue in, you know, obviously, you know, church and state, you want to, you know, keep ads separate from editorial. We're very careful about that, but we are thinking more business, um, in a more business minded way of, okay, what is going to really get a lot of intention and excitement from our readers? Because ultimately at the end of the day, that makes a stronger business. It makes it an easier, uh, sell for advertisers. And that puts us, um, in a place where we feel a little bit more empowered, uh, about our situation in a time when everybody can kind of feel a little powerless. Nina is uh, wondering about whether your readers are experiencing any fatigue from all of this COVID-19 coverage. I know at the beginning, Emily, you mentioned that a lot, any non-COVID-19 stories are oftentimes getting shot down by your editors. What, are you getting any feedback yet from readers that they're ready to move on to other things? Or how are you kind of managing that um, within your newsrooms? So... Part of me almost wants to ask, like, what, is, well, what else is there to move on to at this point? Like, obviously, there is other stuff happening out there. I did a story the other week because, um, like, four times a year, if you're running for Congress, you have to report, hey, this is how much I've earned. This is how much I've spent in my campaign. So that filing time came up. It was a couple weeks ago. And we're like, no, we're, we're doing a story on this. And part of the story included this thing like, oh, you know, you're not seeing coronavirus impact it yet because it was July to March, yada, yada, yada. But we aren't completely ignoring other stories. It is just hard to find stuff at this point that's not impacted or doesn't touched or hasn't been touched by the coronavirus. Um, especially I think at, at the federal level. Um, but I mean, that said, it's like when other news happens, we do pay attention to that other news. Um, 
it's just a matter of at this point coronavirus is the story and it's the story it's the story for everyone i don't think there's a single beat out there whether you're doing travel or vacations or resorts or healthcare or government that isn't being touched by it i do know for our sister publications because we have some like like hospitality magazines and restaurant publications um they've been saying that recently they're actually seeing an uptick in just positive news stories which typically you hear it bleeds it leads people like negative news even if they don't admit it um but it seems like maybe there's a real shift and people are really seeking out positive feel-good stories in this time of quarantine when everybody's feeling a little bit fatigued by all the negative stuff um uh, at the Orlando Sentinel, I mean, I have, I'm very aware of my metrics and, and so are my editors, how many people are reading our stories. Uh, we've had huge uptick. You know, we've had tons of people reading our coverage. And I think people are really hungry for local news. We have a county order, a county state home order. What does that mean? What local businesses are reopening? Um, what's, what are the theme parks doing? When will they reopen? How will they be open differently? There are all these questions. And it's really only professional journalists that have the capabilities to ask those questions and write coherently and give information to people. I think the audience public's really craving that right now. There's so many questions and unknowns and people want information. Cameron is wondering whether you all feel any extra pressure uh, in just the work that you're doing, given the historic nature of the news right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just, I felt like I was writing a, you know, when, when Disney World closed and I wrote that story, it was on the front page of the newspaper, like World War II, it's, you know, just, or the president elected. It was just, I felt the historic magnitude of that moment, um, writing what's happening right now, because it's historic, historically bad, but history nonetheless. And that's a lot of pressure. You want to do it justice and for your readers and for the people you're writing about. So I was just kind of laughing because I was thinking that the thing I was covering before this was Donald Trump's impeachment trial. And everyone's like, this is the story that will define the election. And no. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about how you all maybe have developed your careers and tips that you might have for young journalists. Um, it's, it's kind of a big, thoughtful question, but is there something that you know now that you wished you would have known about journalism in the industry back when you were just dipping your toe in the water and, and learning about and kind of building that desire to be a journalist? So back when I was at Dexter High School, shout out to anybody from Dexter, um, I, we had a journalist come in to talk to our journalism class and um, really respect this guy, awesome journalist. He ended up being my boss eventually. Um, I had asked the question, I really like to take photos, but my true passion is writing. Is there a world in journalism where I might be able to do both? And at the time, way back when, um, his answer was, not really. You're going to have to choose one. And that sounds ridiculous now. I mean, we have to post our stories on to the website with our own headlines. Right? We're taking photos ourselves, or we're asking sources to just send them to us. We're doing copy, like there's not a part of the job that you're not doing. Um, and so I think that 
while it's good to take advice from people who have been there, um, there's a lot that we don't know about what the world is going to look like that the viewers now are going to be kind of creating in the future when it comes to how does news get told, how do viewers get, how do readers get reached um, using social media, what kind of video work are you doing, what kind of, how are you going to be distributing the news, is it going to be the newsletter news model like we've seen or is it going to be something else? Um, so. We don't know what it's going to look like. You guys are going to be the one figuring it out. Um, so don't stop yourself from doing any piece of this because you're going to be expected to do everything. Um, if I could go back in time to my younger high school self at Mercy High School, I would tell her to not be afraid to reach out to older reporters, reporters who are more established. Um, I was always so worried that I was going to be annoying them and that they might not like me and that I'd always have to just like, you know, impress them and be like the best student journalist they ever, but no. Journalism is very much a profession where journalists help other journalists. It's a very competitive profession, which means that it does help if you have someone who knows you who can vouch for you to the hiring manager or the managing editor or any sort of editor. Um, networking is important, connections are important, but you should never feel afraid to reach out to someone, to shoot them an email, to follow them on Twitter, to ask for their time and their advice, um, because I know a lot of journalists are more than willing to give it, and I think if, um, you know, and, and I would have told myself, you know, don't worry so much if they're going to like you or not, just worry about asking them good questions and making sure that they know that you really, really care about journalism and that you are willing to do whatever it takes to join this profession. I covered Disney, this bright, happy place, and it's really emphasized to me how important it is during my reporting that I need public records to find out what's going on. And I think public records are so important. Um, as students, you can make public record requests um, they're public documents. They should be open to the public to get information, you know, looking at lawsuits and police reports and, and federal agencies, investigative agencies. And there's so many records out there. You really have to be curious. And now as a reporter, I make, uh, you know, at least one a week, I try to make more because I love being aggressive and trying to find out things that aren't really going on or trends that I might not otherwise see. So public records and, and, and data, uh, it's just so, so awesome to find really cool stories. If, uh, if we went back in time when you all were getting your start in journalism, what was it about, what was it about journalism that hooked you that made you decide that, Hey, this is something that I want to keep doing and make a career out of. Anybody want to bite first? <laughs> okay. um, I loved, well, I mean, back in high school, that was also when 9-11 happened. Um, so that, I just remember seeing the journalists on that day um, because uh, I happened to be in my journalism class that, that morning and we turned on the TV and just watched it. And I just remember watching the reporters and kind of that feeling everybody felt of they were so hungry to have that information. And that was such a vital role that these people were playing and I was just like that this is what I want to do um and it's just when you've had like an amazing interview for me I love writing the heck out of a story that's like just really interesting and, and you get the people that just you're capturing the feel of, of what's happening so when you've just written the heck out of a story and you're really proud of it like there's no better feeling 
I think it's sort of the opportunities that journalism lends itself to. I mean, I've been fortunate and lucky enough to report not just in not just all over the US, but in several other countries as well. It's given me the opportunity to travel. It's given me the opportunity to explore things that I would have never found out about otherwise, experiences that I would have never had otherwise. I think it's this very cool way to, to get to go through life, to constantly be learning and to sort of just have, like, I can just reach out to anyone and be like, hi, I want to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. And because I'm a journalist and because I write about your area, you have an incentive to talk to me just magically because I can write things and get them published. Um, it feels almost like walking through life with like this kind of superpower in a way. Um, which is, yeah, it's, I guess it sounds kind of cheesy and corny, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Journalism has given me some of my most cherished experiences and memories. And, um, and it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun to ask a lawmaker a really tough question and watch their face do the whole like, hmm, thing. So that's a, that's a kick. <laughs> Um, you know, as a kid and in high school, I just loved to read and I didn't have a high school newspaper to work on. So, but I just, I love to read. And as I, um, looked for a career and a way to earn a living, um, I just kind of naturally fell in love with it. Cause that's, I'm a storyteller and I'm writing people's stories and they, um, Emily kind of like, we had the trust that you, people invite you into their home and pour their heart out to you. And, you know, you tell people stories who would never otherwise, um, be in the paper, you know, finding regular people in the community that have a, a powerful story to tell. It's, it's really a privilege to do what we do. Is, is there a story that each of you has done that you're particularly proud of in, uh, in recent history? For me, when I was a journalist, I could never remember what I did yesterday. I was always moved on <laughs> to the next thing. So that's a, that would be a really hard question for me to answer. I literally just filed something, so like I've got something like handy, but yeah, it's it's bad. Um, so <laughs> we, we launched a series this week actually called Portraits in Healthcare, and um, in the trade pub world, you don't typically get to do stuff like this, but the tone of this and the timing seems appropriate with COVID, um, and basically we're trying to use that as told to writing style, where we kind of, we interview the person, but we just kind of let them talk. And so you're not doing the typical, you know, so-and-so said, and then you let them say their quote, you know, you're just letting them, them talk. And it's been an interesting exercise this week. Um, and it's just been a really touching way to get people's stories, these providers that are on the front lines and what they've been experiencing. So that's been fun. Sorry. <laughs> that's great. Um, I, I used Who else to, is going to bite? Go ahead, Gabrielle. Um, I used to be an education reporter, and you know, I found a story about um, a kid who was high school year, senior year, and he was going to got a starring role in the high school in his high school musical. And it was just a kid that um, you know had really gone through a lot. His mom was in jail. His dad had passed away. You know, he was just kind of on his own. And it's one of my favorite stories because it just it had so many unexpected turns in my reporting. Um, his mom had gotten released from prison and was in a halfway house and she was willing to, to talk with me and share with me. And she shared, you know, letters her kids had written her in jail and, um, she just opened up to me. So instead of just being a story about her son, it was about a mom and her relationship with her son. And it just, you know, uh, I felt like I cared about the people I wrote about, like I, they, you know, I was 
they meant a lot to me to write it was just really special. I feel like my favorite story is not, I'm a little embarrassed because like it actually goes all the way back to college. Um, Like I've written stuff that I've loved in more recent memory, but nothing has topped this one piece I did for the state news. Um, It was basically, there was a, and I'm going to tell it because I feel like it should encourage all the high school students that it doesn't matter that you're a student, you can still write stuff with an impact. Um, There was a individual who, a guy who had been out partying with his friends at a bar, came out of the bar, got into a bar fight, um, was punched and basically died from complications from that fight. Um, They never knew who did it. I wrote the 10 year anniversary story of his death. I found the police officer who heard his last words. I talked to his dad who told me that that he was engaged. And I guess like that wasn't something that was really known. So I did sort of all this extra reporting for it. um, And I, just remember staying up super late trying to write the hell out of, sorry, the heck out of it. Um, And uh, it wound up getting a lot of people read it, a lot of people shared it, and people actually came forward to the police with information about who had killed him. And so the police would have been able to close the case, except it wasn't murder, it was manslaughter. The statute of limitations for manslaughter is 10 years. So the day my story ran, was the last day that they could have ever prosecuted someone for that crime. So what eventually happened is that that experience went on to help influence legislation in Michigan that changed the statute of limitations for manslaughter. And my story played a role in that. And to date, it's been the coolest thing that, that I've sort of seen from a story that I've been able to write. Um, it's just really solidified that, you know, as a journalist, you are able to, to make change, to, to influence things, um, and that, you know, the more knowledge that people have about their surroundings and other people in their community, um, you know, the better decisions everyone can, can make as far as how our society runs. Is there any other advice that, that each of you has for these young journalists who are just getting started and exploring whether to, to keep pursuing this career, this adventure? Don't let the haters get you down. <laughs> I, I would say don't fall into the boring trap of like the stories you think you should be writing. Like I, I know like there were times back in both high school and college where, you know, I'm covering and I have to come up with a story and I feel like, okay, um, well, what's the principal up to? Maybe we'll write a story about the principal. Nobody wants to read about the principal. Like that's the most boring story. Um, so you should be writing about something like you actually would want to read about or like go call somebody that you'd want to talk to, like actually talk to as opposed to like who you feel like you should. Um, and I don't know why both um, as a high school student, college student, and even as a professional, sometimes I do fall into that trap of like thinking of the story I'm supposed to be writing. And that's usually a bad idea. Have fun. Be curious. Make public records requests. That's a great one. So that's an hour with you all. Thank you so much, Emily Wilkins and Gabrielle Russin and Tina Reed for your time today and your thoughts and your advice. Um, even the couple things, Emily Wilkins, who, that you shouldn't mention on a web webinar with uh, high school students, but you know, I still like you. <laughs> Thank you everybody for tuning in. We hope to see you on our next episode as we continue to explore the world of journalism and media. Be safe. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
This has been a Better Press for a Better World, brought to you by the Michigan Interscholastic Press Association. Learn more about our workshops, contests, and other programs for high school and middle school journalism students and their advisors at mipamsu.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.